0: This is Tiffany Bobo. Welcome to this episode of the What's Next podcast, where I get to have someone I have followed for years on the show today, and I'm thrilled to have her, Amy Edmondson. She is a professor of leadership and management at the Harvard Business School, a chair established to support the study of human interactions that lead to the creation of successful enterprises that contribute to the betterment of society. That's always a good thing, right? <laughs> the betterment of society. But also Amy has been recognized by Thinkers 50, a global ranking of management thinkers since 2011, most recently was ranked number three. She also received the organization's Breakthrough Idea Award in 2019, where, by the way, she beat me, so let's just (laughs) get it real here, and won the Talent Award in 2017. She studies teaming, psychological safety, organizational learning. She has seven books. Uh, And her most recent book, The Fearless Organization, is out last year. Oh no, two years ago now. But I could just talk endlessly about how great she is, but welcome to the show, Amy.
1: I'm delighted to be here.
0: I'm delighted to have you. All right, we are going to start this with uh, something I call bullish and bearish. Bullish is you're for it, bearish is you're against it, kind of the obvious. Are you ready? I think so. Okay, the first one, bullish or bearish? Robots learning empathy. Bullish. Oh, not what I thought you would say. <laughs> All
1: right. All
0: right. The next one. All right. The next one. Colonizing on Mars. Bearish. <laughs> it would take us so long to get there. But I know. I feel like yeah. anyway. And there's no reversibility
1: just... on that one.
0: Right? <laughs> All right. And then the, the third one, bullish or bearish, it's okay not to know all the answers. Bullish. Yes. All right. Let's start there, right? Because I think you are kind of at the forefront of talking about leadership and management and organizational learning and all these things. But I feel like so many people are insecure about not knowing all the answers, yet in fact... We don't
1: always know all the answers. So maybe you can walk us through that. Well, it's a given that we don't know all the answers, right? We live in an enormously complex and fast-changing world. And so nobody knows all the answers. So if you if you think you know all the answers, you're deluding yourself <laughs> and possibly others, although probably yourself more effectively, uh, but you're trying to delude others. But the reality is we, we live in a world, and we have for a long time, where expertise is uh, narrower and narrower, you know, deeper and deeper, uh, because, because any field of inquiry, you name it, has so much knowledge that has led to splintering of fields, right? So you have narrower areas of, of expertise, which means by definition, you don't know everything because you don't necessarily know, every, you certainly don't know everything beyond your expertise and even your expertise is incomplete uh, because of the very nature of knowledge. So that's one aspect and then the other that's probably even more straightforward is the world is changing so fast that even if let's just say even if you knew everything today you won't know everything tomorrow. So it just becomes a given that you don't have all the answers might as well get comfortable with it and you know turn it into something good <laughs> rather than you know something shameful.
0: Do you have anything, any opinion on being a generalist or being a specialist, like Hmm. being sort of T-shaped for people who, you know, so being, I feel like I'm a generalist across a number of topics. There are one or two that I'm really deep in, but for the majority, I'm fairly, you know, an inch deep, if you will, across it. Do you, do you like that generalist specialist T sort of thinking, or do you think people should go deep?
1: No, I mean I think some people should go deep because they they love that right, and and they they become important members of a larger team, and there is great power in in being and having being being surrounded by people who are generalists. So I've I've I have long been a fan, and maybe it's because it's it's sort of the my own tendency, like like yours, is to. Um, is to step back and, and, and look at larger pictures. And that, that makes me, at least someone who wants to be a generalist, I don't know if I'm any good at it, but, but I think there's power in seeing the similarities and connections across things and, um, and, and, and helping bridge gaps between people who are otherwise very narrow and deep and can't talk to each other.
0: Well, and that leads me right to the teaming conversation, right? Because I've had multiple people on the show whom you know most of them, if not all of them, um, sort of talking about, you know, diversity of thought and, you know, the power of that. And so you think generalist specialists, that is a very much a diversity of thought. And so in building teams, is that the right approach to say, look, we can't just have all generalists. We need somebody that might be a little deeper, but we don't need all specialists because then they might not talk to each other
1: you know, I think the whole idea of the t-shaped person is someone who has enough expertise in something to appreciate what that means um, um, and and to and to at least bring something to the party. But the t-shaped means that ability to reach across, right that you're not hopelessly limited um, to seeing the world the way an expert in your domain might. but you that you have this capacity. To get curious about what others bring and what they see, and I, and I think that capacity starts with curiosity. Uh, by the way, so with respect to composing a team, of course, it depends what that team is trying to do, right? If it's it's some um, very specialized, let's say a you know a virus develop, I mean a vaccine development team, um, we need some very particular, very deep kinds of experts, and there's a whole lot of People who don't who's not, who are not going to add value to that team, but if we have a team that's you know you know planning the launch of some new product that is going to appeal to uh, consumers in their own lives, you know there needs to be a, a sort of a diversity of technical and psychological and various other marketing uh, skills on that team. So it starts with the team is for what.
0: Yeah, and I think once you get to the team is for what and you understand what that mission is, then it's how do teams work together in the most effective and efficient way? Um, and and I think that leads me to things you talk about all the time, right? The sort of humanity and the candor and sort of admitting failure and having very honest communication. And and has that been really challenged as we've all been working from anywhere now for almost 12 months, depending on where you're listening to this in the world, it could be longer than 12 months, it could be coming up to 12 months. But do you think that that cohesion of team has really been stressed?
1: I think it has. And I think we're beginning to see evidence and, and research on this, that, that the working from home has stressed our, or, or um, in, inhibited the trust uh, in, in many teams and now i'm talking to more and more people who are saying where well, our new hires have never met anyone in person right and and it's it's just a little different right it's a little different to to build trust and to know each other well enough to kind of team up um, efficiently i guess would be a way to say that so yes i think our trust has uh, been slightly eroded and and uh, for, with with working from home and it doesn't mean we can't find creative ways to, to build it back up, but it, have it, it you is seen a challenge. Com-
0: yeah. Have you seen companies do really well? Like you mentioned onboarding and I think that's a great example, you know, successful teams have to have this kind of collaborative trust kind of nature. Like we're all in this together. One fails. We all fail. One wins. We all win. Like, you know, we kind of all are on this road together. And if you don't have, it's possible, I'm going to guess, and I'd love your opinion, right? It's possible to create those kinds of very cohesive teams, even remotely. But when you have a new hire who enters that doesn't have the benefit of, we used to work together face to face, and now we're working from home, we're just leveraging the relationships we'd established. Yet a new person doesn't have that safety net to fall back on that they knew each other. So have you seen people do a really good job of, of navigating that?
1: Yes. And it, you know, it it comes down to doing it deliberately. So recognize, you know, recognize the gap, recognize where the gaps are, recognize what these kinds of technologies do well and what they don't do well. um, And then see, be creative in terms of how do we, you know, how do we compensate for the things they don't do well? Right. One thing, for example, one thing that work from home technologies don't do well is make it easy To pick up subtle clues, subtle cues about you know from body language or um, you know um, uh, from you know someone suddenly lets um, looks interested in something or they have an idea. You're very likely to miss that on a on a Zoom screen of any size at all. You know, once you're beyond like two or three people. And, and so recognizing that there's just all sorts of cues that you get in around the table that you don't get in in mediated uh, meetings through technology and say, OK, how do we fill in that gap in a creative way? Well, maybe it's um, routine use of of polls or the the icons that, you know, thumbs up, thumbs down or um, or routine use of what you might call rounds. I'm just doing a quick, let's go around and what's your idea on that? What's your reaction to that? I mean, just being being a bit more systematic, you know, in a way that just happens so naturally when we are face to face.
0: Well, one thing you said there, right, is missing the cues. And some of the missing the cues is not everybody's on camera all the time. You know, sometimes half the team's on camera, one person's on camera, nobody's on camera, which means you really miss all the cues, right? But if you have some right. people on and off camera. And so if you're a leader listening to this, you may want to consider that maybe it's an all-camera meeting and it's you keep them short 20 minutes or whatever exactly. so that you don't get that burnout, right? Exactly. Uh,
1: in, in fact, I think the, the uh, biggest error we've made in this period is having... Meetings that start on the hour and somehow end on the hour. Not all meetings should be an hour. And, and certainly all meetings should You need a ritual where they either start 10 minutes later. And, 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 but I think the 20-minute ideas is a really good one. Or at least figure out what is it we need to do, how long should it last, and how will we do it? Right? If it's just getting input, how will we do that? If it's just you know, announcing some new thing, how will we do that? Very, it's very much a design problem and and it should be it's a design problem that should be handled a lot more thoughtfully than i think most most organizations are doing right now
0: well i think part of that is also that this is such uncharted waters i mean you know management yeah. and leadership has been spoken about forever i mean obviously you work at harvard you teach it you've you know shaped many of the minds of some of the greatest leaders. And ultimately I'd say that then you go, well, here I am in the middle of this pandemic. I don't know how to run a virtual meeting that allows me to get everybody engaged. And I don't know how to draw people in. And I don't know how to think about a 20 minute meeting versus a 50 minute meeting. Like this is like, like I'm pretty good at how I lead in person. And I don't know how to do it like virtually right in, in this way. And so you know maybe you can talk a little bit through psychological safety because i think that will lead into sort of some of those insecurities and ways to feel that even though you don't know the answer that you give it a shot
1: sure and 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 you're absolutely right i mean there's a um such an important thing to point out and point out all the time that we have never been here before this is new territory and and fight like crazy against that human tendency to say okay I got this like I know this right I, I know now how to run a zoom meeting so I'm running a zoom meeting and I you know and I don't know um, what's missing I don't, don't know where the gaps are so psychological safety which I define as um, a, a conviction that it's okay to speak up around here you know including with potentially um, Tricky territory with with mistakes, with ideas that might be out from left field, with with a request for for help on something I can't do, or with a question that might be seen by someone as uh, not a very smart question. It's so a psychological safety is that absolute um, conviction that your voice is welcome, right? that that your your colleagues, your managers want to hear from you, expect to hear from you, and doesn't all have to be good news, right? It's it's okay to speak up with not so good news. And if you think about what we were talking about earlier, you know, that we live in a fast-changing, really complex world where nobody knows everything, it becomes absurd in a way to think about how often people hold back, right? They don't speak up because they think this might not be right, or they don't ask the question because they think asking questions will make them look, uh, ignorant in some way. Um, you know, the the world in which we live and work is a world in which you don't know, as we said earlier, you don't know most of the time. There's a whole lot of really important things you don't know. And yet we're unwilling to take the risks of putting ourselves out there. So uh, maybe a simpler way to put this is, it is, um, natural to hold back. Most people will err on the side of wait and see. And that's not where you get great teamwork. That's not where you get flexible, agile, you know, organizations, you know, when people are sort of reading the tea leaves before they're willing to speak up, whether that's face to face or in a Zoom meeting, an awful lot of value has the potential to be left behind.
0: I, I couldn't agree more. I, I, I shared something on, um, on LinkedIn and Twitter a few weeks back about that the lack of w- openness or willingness or um, of being heard on Zoom calls is, is starting to get really much more difficult and much, and much more difficult gender as well, that it mm. was women were much less likely to speak up. On a Zoom call, either because people weren't listening, or they were spoken over, or things like that. Um, which any any comment on that?
1: I, I absolutely. I've seen the same thing. I've heard the same thing. I've been reading about this. Um, there is, and I think um, partly because of normal human dynamics, where where women often have to fight a little harder to be heard. Um, sometimes, as as we've all experienced, you have that idea of three utterances later, a male says the same thing, and then people are referring to it as his idea. All of those, you know, old-fashioned, regular old dynamics of human interaction are exacerbated in the virtual work environment, Um, and then exacerbated that much more because women are much more likely at home to be called in, you know, to help with the Math homework of the of the child, or to be, you know, have to run to the stove to, you know, keep that soup from boiling over or whatever it is.
0: Yeah, and 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 what was interesting whenever I put things up like that is to see the responses. That's always (laughs) fascinating. For for another day, however, um, you know, it's also introverts that are introverted in person are going to be even almost more introverted, and so I, you know, I was having a conversation with Tom Peters, who's you know kind of one of my favorite humans. Uh, I love that he's just Noel Barr. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Whether you agree true. or don't agree, he will just say as he thinks. right? But one of the things I really love about him and what he talks about is this kind of management by walking around and asking questions right, and drawing out ideas from anywhere in the organization. I take it one step further and say, but it isn't just about asking the questions. It's then capturing that and then saying, you know what, this idea came from Bob or Sally right. or you know, whomever Living it might credit. be. Yep. Yeah, anywhere yep. in the organization. And then even if the idea was not a good one, you know, like it wasn't implemented or something, that you still say, you know what, this is why we didn't do that. And it starts to make people feel more psychologically safe that my executives will ask a question, but they're actually listening and then they'll either action it or not action it and tell us why. And I think that's hugely powerful.
1: I think so, too. And and what you're saying makes me think, you know, more and more, it's it's not enough to say we have a psychologically safe environment, as challenging as that is. You have to have a, a kind of listening environment, because if people are speaking, but nobody's listening, it doesn't add up to a whole lot, right? So it, it, in many ways, and, and you could also say that if people are listening, people will speak. I mean when you get the sense that it matters to my yes, colleagues, yes. to my managers, you know, to to my company that matters that I offer things that you know, and and and, as you say, let me know what happens with it, right? It, maybe it goes somewhere. Maybe it doesn't. Either way, I need to have the loop closed to feel good about it. yeah, and that. I think
0: that and I think that's hugely powerful. you know, I, I think that, that's where leaders um, have a huge opportunity to provide opportunities to others who may be introverts and not always the one that are, you know, showcased that you let everybody kind of get that, their time, their air time, their idea time, their, you know, all of that. And, and I think it comes down to, as you said, you know, the listening, but it's also the respect of you ask, you hear back. hmm you do something or you don't do something, but you're giving that person permission and the respect to speak. And so I've also found where leaders like, so we're on a call, you and I are on a call and Amy, you just, I ask a question and I ask it to you directly. You start answering and someone sort of talks right over you. And sometimes the leaders don't go, hold on a second, Amy wasn't finished. You know, all of a sudden it's like second grade, right? (laughs) Like, right, traffic. Let someone. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> Right. Now, do you think and, that's happening more with with Zoom or less? Because it's you do have to sort of unmute yourself, or at least, you know, once you're above four or five people.
0: Yeah, I feel like you miss the. You oh. know, when you're in human, you can kind of see someone's about to speak or they want to say something, and so they start speaking, and and there's that little delay. It's like a two or three second delay. So I. But I do feel, yeah, I do feel like the distraction level is up. And so are people really listening? Because when you're sitting in a room, you know, you can kind of control, they're not watching television. They're not, exactly. you know, their kids aren't pulling at their ankles, you know, the Mm -hmm. dogs aren't jumping up on the table. That's not happening. And so this, there's this huge level of distraction. So sometimes it's not that they're not listening because they don't care. They're not listening because they're just not even paying attention.
1: Well, and and let's face it. I mean, let's go back to this idea of design. I think that too many people have too many meetings and, and the meetings go on too long. And so by the end of the day, you know, you've had meeting after meeting after meeting it's, you don't have to be a bad human being to have spent some of those meetings also on email or also, you know, reading something that needs to be read. So the, The reality is, and you couldn't do that in a regular meeting, you know, you couldn't walk in with some report and start reading it or walk in with your computer and start doing the email at the same time. And so I think we have to make it, we can't just say, oh, you can't do that. We have to make it less um, tempting to do it by making your presence more necessary. Right. So that might, mean for sh- that might mean shorter meetings, that might mean no one's in the meeting whose presence isn't necessary, so that when we're here, we're all in, right? And then when we're, we're done, we're gone.
0: Yeah, and I agree. And, and I, I was giving somebody some advice the other day, and they were saying, you know, I'm trying to think about, you know, my personal brand. And I said, well, why do people invite you to meetings? why why are you there what expertise or insights are you going to bring if you attend a meeting and say nothing why were you there right, right right did you either not get the opportunity to speak or did you not inject yourself into the conversation but if you've sort of added nothing to a meeting most of the time i'd say why were you there in the first place
1: right, right? added or or ha- you ha- maybe sometimes you had to be there to take something away so that it Correct. changes what you go do but most of the time that kind of one-way transfer of information can happen more efficiently in a means that's not a meeting right
0: absolutely absolutely well you know you um, get to spend a lot of time uh, working with leaders and and companies and brands from around the world and I'd love to hear as we wrap this up sort of what are the top things you're hearing now from people that let's say you heard it a lot you know 12 months ago. Mm-hmm. And you've really seen people, you know, kind of make the commitment to improve, or things you didn't hear that you were surprised you didn't hear.
1: <laughs> That's a big range, you know. The one, the one I've been hearing a lot that I continue to be surprised by um, is 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 a. I guess it's just a continuation of the fact that in that senior leaders, senior executives in companies seem to be surprised still that they are not hearing the bad news in a timely way. Right? That they they you know and I, I honestly think I think their hearts in the right place. They've, you know, they've maybe read my work, they've read Tom Peters, right? They know they know um, that it matters, right? They know that it matters that people feel able to speak up. They know that it matters that uh, they hear the bad news as well as the good news. But they haven't f- figured out a way to really change the the broader incentive context that that makes that a reality, and, the, and they're sort of they they get perplexed, right? And and you know to put a um, kind of an obvious uh, give an obvious example, they they um, say we really need people to collaborate, we need people to be candid, we need people to dissent and disagree, um, and then they have in place uh, you know a, an incentive system that that force ranks uh, their employees, right? That's just not gonna go anywhere. But I, I think more, even without those kinds of sort of obvious mismatches, I think what, what, um, they're, what people are wrestling with is that this human thing is much harder than they thought, right, it's, it's hard to really engage hearts and minds um, in a useful way and it matters.
0: The hard stuff is easy. The easy, the soft stuff is hard. <laughs>
1: exactly. Exactly. Right? You know, the That's... technical stuff is easy because we got expertise. We got technical experts and they'll, you know, they'll do that expert work for us. And the but soft stuff the, isn't. The soft stuff isn't. It's just, it's sort of, you chip away at it. You make errors all the time. You know, you don't mean to be short with someone and then you are. And then, you know, bad news goes underground again.
0: Yeah, you almost have to say, if you're going to bring me some really good news, for every good news you bring me, you have right. to bring me bad news. You
1: almost have to be that structured about it, right? You almost have to say, <laughs> and I do say this sometimes, like, just stand there and say, if I'm only hearing good news, I, there's something wrong, right? Because we live in a volatile, uncertain, complex, ambiguous world, right? There's just no way that things aren't going wrong, right? That's a, It's a given. Things are going wrong, right? And and so the only question mark is: Are you hearing about them?
0: Right, right. And you know, I I said in my book, I be the, this sort of I feel like undercover boss is a massive psychological experiment on leadership of um, the TV show because I go, you know, they spend yeah. the first five to seven minutes disguising the executive, which I think is a complete waste of very expensive TV time because (laughs) they could go out amongst their people and no one would recognize them anyway
1: because they never leave
0: their office. Right?
1: Right? And so, you know,
0: walking around to hear the bad news and see the things aren't working well. Okay. So that's the stuff that you heard. What were you surprised maybe that you didn't hear during the last 12 months that you thought for sure, this is going to be the time we finally have a conversation about X. That has kind of been on the back burner. And while you think about it, I mean, I can just talk about our our world, mm, right? This yeah. digital transformation accelerated in the last 12 months, where for decades we've been saying, you know, kind of like Y2K, for the last 20 years, we've been saying it's gonna get more and more and more digitally connected. You as a company, small and large, have to digitize your business. And then boom, you know, a black swan event hits and all of a sudden everyone's like, Accelerated all these digital investments, and they realized that they didn't make the right decision and not making those investments. So, you know, I'm not surprised it finally happened, right. but I was surprised it hadn't happened sooner.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's right. I mean, maybe for me, it's been that they, um, because I think so many organizations had the the experience of getting this done overnight, meaning get by getting this done, meaning everybody went home, and. You know, they downloaded the software, they figured out new norms, maybe not always very good ones as, we, as we've been talking, but they, they kind of turned on a dime. Like they were enormously agile in ways that they would have thought would not have been possible, right? Well, this would have taken months of planning and then a sort of a pilot over here and, you know, on the way no, things are normally done. And they learned that even, you know, you can have an elephant dance um, if you have to. But then here's the surprise. Th-
0: Lou Gerstner, <laughs> right,
1: exactly. And then, but here's the, um, the the surprising and on, you know, from one week to the next. But the surprising thing is how little that experience has bled over into everything else. Right. In other words, if you can do that, well, what else can you do that you previously thought impossible? All right. I haven't seen that much explicit attention to um you know slaying the other sacred myths if you were you know if you will the the yep the um the toppling of the cants right there hasn't been a lot of yes, toppling I mean, of I, we know, can't I... do that we can't do that we can't do that
0: or we tried it, it didn't work. We tried right. it five years ago, it didn't work. That's not what we do. It's not what our, you know, this, right. you know, it's kind of this crossroad of go back to the status quo or reimagine what we've now learned during this time. Um, yeah. I find even it the prevalence, fascinating.
1: Go ahead. Well, I was just saying, even the prevalence of the term go back, right? The prevalence of the, even though people go, oh yeah, right, we won't really go back. But still, you hear it all the time. When will we go back? Um, you know, rather than when will we go forward into some new kind of amalgam of what we've learned, it's, it's, um, there's a, a strong desire and a strong temptation to think about it as, as when will we go back?
0: Yeah. Early on, there were two terms I didn't like. One, I didn't like social distancing because I feel like ah, we are social creatures yeah. and if you're not, yeah. if you're not social, you're isolated. So I like, phys- I liked physical yes. distancing. Well, it's more accurate. Know, phys- right. Versus social. Yes. yes. Uh, Number one. And number two, I didn't like the new normal, like going back was, you know, and so I I said next future because it's like, like, what's next? What's our next future? How are we building upon the things that were before? But what we've learned during this time, like we can, we are a large organization. We can be nimble. We can be agile. We can be responsive. We can do these things. Working remotely, we can hire talent from anywhere in the world we never thought we could. I mean, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? And so I feel like those are, um, you know, great things if we can get everybody to have a little bit of a beginner's mind on what can be possible going forward. So, Amy, this has been fantastic. I could talk to you for hours because, you know, we never get a chance to catch up. But how can people that are listening today keep in touch with your work? And, you know, besides the obvious of buying your book, The Fearless Organization, but besides that,
1: Well, amycedmondson.com does have a few. I try to put articles up. I also am on LinkedIn and I post articles there um, and have, of course, a faculty webpage at Harvard Business School as well.
0: And for all of you, you know, who strive to be leaders in the future or who are leaders now, Amy is one of my go-tos when I'm looking for information about kind of what's coming next. So Thank you so much, Amy, for spending time with me here today. It's just such a pleasure to to get the opportunity to have this conversation. I appreciate you and all your work. I always say I stand on the shoulder of giants and you're one of them. So I I really do appreciate you and all that you do and have done for me in the past.
1: Well, thank you. I really appreciate that. It's um, a pleasure to spend this time with you. I could do it all day also.
0: How great was that conversation with Amy Edmondson? I could have talked to her for hours, really. It's just so fascinating to understand the psychological ways to approach leadership and teaming and learning and failure in this unprecedented time of hybrid work, working from anywhere home and otherwise. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. I think that if you're looking to get into leadership, you are in leadership. We always have to be students of our profession. Make those investments every day in yourself by listening to the What's Next podcast. That's one of the ways you can do it. So thank you for doing that and joining me here today. Please subscribe, share with friends, download, give me some feedback. I'll look forward to having you join me again
1: next time.